Notifications have typically been an area of product where building in-house has been the only option. However, building a best in-class notification system that delivers a great customer experience requires a significant investment when you start to layer in complexities like batching, cross-channel orchestration, and user preferences. Chris Bell of Knock joins the show to talk through how Knock can solve the challenges with building an in-house product notification system and free up engineering time in the process. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Notifications. So I receive all kinds of notifications in my applications. I think about notifications on my phone, notifications that I see in the website of an application like on Instacart or on Facebook. And they seem fairly simple. There's a wide variety of notifications that can occur. Why is the concept of a notification a complex engineering problem? Yeah, that's a great question. And just to start, I think a lot of people don't think of it as a complex engineering problem, really. But what we saw with notifications is it's not just about the actual delivery of those notifications to the end device, right? It's not just about sending a push notification or delivering an email or sending an SMS and calling one of those already established like delivery provider APIs, really where a lot of the complexity lies in notifications these days is kind of just what you described. It's about the orchestration of those notifications and making sure that the right notification goes to the right person on the right platform to give them the highest chance of engaging with it and get them back into your product. And that's where we see a lot of the actual challenges of building these notification platforms today. So myself and my co-founder, we worked at a company called Frame.io where notifications were basically integral to that platform, making sure that when someone left a comment on a video that they would get notified to bring them back into the product. But those notifications, they didn't just live on email. They lived in places like Slack. They lived in places like Microsoft Teams or whatever that chat platform is that you're using as well as like we had an iOS app, we had an Apple TV app, we had all of these different applications and just making sure that the right notification went to the right place to make sure that person ended up getting back into the application was really, really crucial. And that's kind of the problem that we're trying to solve at Knock. It's not just about the delivery of those notifications, it's everything that comes around it. It's all of the logic that's involved in basically taking a flow of information and making sure that the right channel gets notified, applying a user's preferences back onto it as well. So making sure that like, if you tell us you never want to receive a push notification, you shouldn't be receiving that, right? And that's really where a lot of this engineering challenge lies. And it's kind of like, it's one of those problems where it's like, it's not just a hard technical problem. It's one of those things that's like, kind of laborious in the sense where everyone's building the same technology. There's no real differentiation there for most companies. And it's not necessarily something that's like making their product better. It's something that they absolutely need to make sure that they can compete and make sure that they can have a great experience for their customers. And that's really where a lot of the challenge lies. And that's exactly what we're trying to solve here at Knock. Okay, got it. So it seems like notifications are fairly domain specific, like depending on what application I have, there's going to be a very specific set of notifications that are going to be occurring. What can you generalize about notifications 
in order to build notification infrastructure? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we see as the building blocks that can be generalized are these components that you basically compose to be able to create these complex notification flows. So things like a lot of applications need batching. So you might leave 10 comments on something and it's going to produce 10 notifications by default. But you actually want to say, hey, we want to collapse those into a single notification that goes out within a set window of time. So that that's an example of one of the kind of like generalizable building blocks that we saw that we created around with NOC so that people can leverage those to not have to build that themselves. Another example there would be like a delay, right? So you might have an example of an invite email where you basically say, hey, you know, Jeffrey, you've been invited to this product. We're going to wait three days. And if you have not clicked on that invite email or accepted it, we want to send you a reminder, right? So it's like those kinds of building blocks that we're trying to abstract. And they're the parts that we see as incredibly generalizable that a lot of teams are having to build themselves with. You know, the one I just described there around like a delay is generally being built as like a cron job. But now you have to keep state in your DB. You're thinking about basically like, okay, for all these users that haven't received a reminder, we're going to do that. And again, it's just like one of those like rote tasks that you're adding to your engineering team's backlog. And they're the kinds of pieces that we're trying to abstract and make really, really generalizable for people to leverage here. Another really good example is that application of preferences as well. So typically that's not really domain specific. Like a lot of folks will just have like a generalized preference model that says like, I want to receive emails. I don't want to receive push notifications. Maybe for this particular type of notification, you know, I always want to receive it on this channel only, but I never want to receive it over Slack or something like that. And again, that's one of those pieces that we've kind of abstracted away and included in the product. So you just never have to think about building it again. Okay. Actually, I I have built multiple products where I've had to build ad hoc notification infrastructure, and it actually is kind of a nightmare. Now, as far as what kinds of problems you can actually handle for the developer, there was this problem that Facebook had, maybe you remember this, many years ago, where the user's notifications would never show that they were empty. They never seemed to be able to successfully mark all the notifications as being read. So every time you would open Facebook, you would have a notification. And it just turned out that there was some kind of complexity in terms of actually identifying what notifications had been consumed or not. And it was, I think it was some kind of issue communicating between the back end and the front end. But it just makes me wonder, like, what parts of the notification infrastructure are you trying to handle? Is it mainly the back end side of things? Or are you also trying to handle like the front end rendering side of things? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, we, by the way, we've definitely heard about that problem from some other folks as well. I think like, when you think about your Twitter DMs, they also have a similar problem, like your badge count on iOS will never reflect the actual DM count. And that, that kind of state synchronization problem is definitely a difficult challenge across clients. And I, at scale, at the kind of Twitter, Facebook scale, I imagine that's like a lot more challenging to handle as well. To answer your question, yeah, we are basically, we're trying to tackle notifications holistically. So one part that we see as, as really integral to that kind of holistic solving here is actually bringing in that in-app kind of stateful feed component as well. 
So if you think about a feed of notifications, you might call that an inbox or you might refer to that as, you know, you might have seen it as like the bell icon where you click it and then you see a list of unread notifications, something like that. We actually have out of the box React components that you can drop into your product and get up and running with a feed that we've already constructed for you that you can just drop in and it gives you kind of a real-time enabled feed that you can just drop into your product out of the box and you have that. But we also have the APIs behind it. So if you don't want to use our components, you can also kind of power your own components through our APIs and not have to build the APIs that actually power that and all of the real-time infrastructure that surrounds it as well. And then on the kind of client state management side of the house, you know, we give you a really simple interface where you basically have access to the total number of unread notifications, things like that. You can mark them as read, just like basically, again, just taking away that kind of task of having to build out that part of your notification stack and doing in your product, whilst also understanding that, you know, a lot of the time those components have to be really customizable because you want it to match your branding, you want it to match the look and feel of your product. But again, it's just like, rote work that you have to do and maybe you don't have real-time infrastructure ready to go just out of the box so you have to think about how do you handle that and it also just brings in all of these other challenges so we're just trying to make it absolutely straightforward to get going and power your both your back end and your front end of your notifications there so maybe we can characterize a few different kinds of applications and talk about what it would take to build notification infrastructure for these different applications. So maybe we could start with a consumer application. So if you think about like an app like, oh, let's say Instacart or DoorDash, some kind of food delivery app. Can you talk through, like if I was building a notification infrastructure for a food delivery application, could you contrast what that would look like if I was building it from scratch versus what it would look like if I was building it with your infrastructure at Knock? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if you're building that kind of infrastructure for a consumer-based application like Instacart or one of those food delivery services, basically what you're having to do there is think about, well, let's think about the key events that are causing notifications, right? So you've got pretty much when an order is placed, you probably want to send them a notification telling them the order is placed. And maybe that's a receipt or some kind of email or something like that. Then you want to tell them their driver's on the way. You want to keep them updated on that part. Maybe it's something to do with the fact that they couldn't find all of your groceries. So now we have to come back and actually start thinking about bringing them back into the product to make sure that you're picking substitutes or something as well. So you've got that kind of engagement loop that you need to power and then ultimately, you've got the kind of the real-time nature of making sure that they're aware that the driver is coming up to their door and they're nearby, you know. So you've got those kinds of events. And this is how we like to start thinking about kind of notifications within products. There's key events that are driving those notifications. So if we're building this out ourselves, well, first of all, we just identified a couple of different platforms where we need to start thinking about sending notifications to there, right? So Maybe let's start with the fact that we need to at least send them emails, but we also know that they have a mobile app and now that we need to start sending them push notifications as well. So immediately we have a couple of channels that we need to support. So I don't know the last time you spun up any kind of push notification infrastructure, but that's a stateful connection to APNS or FCM 
Firebase cloud messaging as well. And so now we need to support that within our application, make sure that we're actually delivering those notifications to those end users and spin up the infrastructure to handle that. And now on the other side, we might have to have some kind of evented pipeline to basically start saying when this event happens, we want to asynchronously deliver these notifications. Maybe that starts out as a simple job queue to actually do that. But then quickly it can turn into like an event log service, like a Kafka or a Kinesis or something like that as well to start powering at a larger scale. And then we might have some more reminders for those users, maybe like 10 minutes away from when the delivery is supposed to happen. We need to trigger a workflow that says we need to send them a reminder that their delivery is coming. So now we might need some cron infrastructure as well or something so that we can run those kind of scheduled tasks in the background. Now, all of those things might sound quite straightforward when you're getting started. But again, when you're building your startup, like you don't necessarily want to be focused on this part, like this notifications infrastructure side. I think really you're wanting to be focused on like differentiating parts of that product, which is really the, you know, the customer facing like UX and UI around these kind of delivery services. And that's the part that, you know, you should be focusing on as a team and not having to spin up all of these extra pieces of infrastructure to handle notifications. And if you contrast that with what you can do at NOC, well, you can start plugging in NOC really, really easily. Basically, we take your events that are happening in your product. You send us over an API call that maps that event into what we call a workflow within NOC. And that workflow can trigger notifications that end up at different places. So again, that might be your email, that might be push notifications. But then let's add in another dimension where let's say you want to start sending customers SMSs for some of these really urgent notifications as well. Well, like if you're doing that yourself, that means you're going to need basically another delivery service. So maybe that's Twilio and now you're actually calling another API in some of that notifications code that you've written. Whereas in NOC, you're basically just adding another step to these workflows. You give us your Twilio credentials we're going to manage all that delivery on your behalf. We're going to make sure that those messages get reliably delivered to your end customers as well. And again, it's no extra work for your team. So we've just handled all of that part for you. Those reminder messages, there's no cron infrastructure. There's no push infrastructure to set up. Everything is just taken care of. So you described a lot of backend infrastructure there that you're using to support your notification infrastructure. Can we talk through some of the infrastructure decisions that you've made to support that backend? Can you just talk about your basic approach to what you're using for compute and caching and storage and just give me the rundown of your infrastructure? Yeah, absolutely. So we broadly separate out our system into two pieces. One is a control plane where you're kind of managing all of these notifications that you're creating. And the other is a data plane, which is effectively the execution engine for our notification kind of infrastructure. So that, that kind of stateful workflow engine that we have. So broadly, the way that we deploy right now, we deploy on EKS. Everything's in Kubernetes. We use Kinesis up front to make sure that we can handle bursty traffic, which is really, really important for us. And then all of our backend services are written in Elixir. Elixir is a functional language that runs on the Erlang virtual machine, if you're not familiar with it. And that's where we actually execute all of our notifications. We have pretty good amount of caching that we introduce for some of our feeds. 
and some of the more kind of stateful red components here where we're using Redis for that right now. And then all of our kind of database layer, we use a combination of both MongoDB for lots of unstructured data. And then we're using a lot of Postgres as well for a lot more of this kind of, you know, the relational data that's being stored here. And then our infrastructure is set up so that we can horizontally scale really easily across these clients. One thing that's really, really important for us is you might be a small startup sending, you know, like 100 notifications a day, or you might be a huge company sending us thousands and thousands of notifications a second. And we need to be able to basically support that at scale. And then a lot of the rest of the infrastructure is really leveraging a lot of the kind of niceties of Elixir and the Erlang VM as well. So the way that we actually execute our notifications is every notification is modeled as a process in our system. Processes in Elixir are basically, they don't map to a thread. They're very lightweight VM managed processes. They're extremely lightweight. In fact, you can run millions and millions of them on a single like MacBook. All of our notifications are modeled like that and they're stateful processes that can be started and stopped. So if you imagine it more like an actor model of how these things are modeled, that kind of maps one-to-one with how we think about notifications. And we think that Elixir is a fantastic fit for building what we're building. Erlang was kind of developed off of telephony systems in the 80s and 90s. And I think when you think about like kind of notifications, we actually call our backend service for sending notifications switchboard. So it's a very good analog for what Erlang was developed for and these kind of processes that can terminate really gracefully. They can handle their own state. They can be retried. And we have all of these nice attributes based in the system and this really good concurrency model just because we're leveraging Erlang and Elixir out of the gate. The usage of Elixir I guess I'd like to go a little bit further into that. I can kind of imagine the usefulness of that because it's kind of a routing problem. Every time that a notification gets issued to your backend infrastructure from whatever company is plugging into your infrastructure, it has to get routed to the right client or clients. And Elixir, Erlang are generally used, you know, the cases I've seen them used is in telephony type applications like WhatsApp or historically in in other telephony, like, you know, obviously it came from Ericsson historically. And then also just in PubSub contexts where you need low latency, highly reliable PubSub systems. So I can imagine you have a notification And that notification may need to be sent to multiple clients or routed to multiple clients of the same user or different users. And I guess maybe you could give a description of why Erlang is a particularly good language choice for this application. Yeah, absolutely. I would say one thing about the Erlang VM, which is called the Beam, the virtual machine underneath is basically going to manage the kind of the execution of those processes against the underlying resources of the system. And I would say that allows us out of the gate to basically have a really simple concurrency model where, again, we can kind of think about the fan out of these notifications to, you know, it might be one request comes in and needs to end up notifying like a 100 different users or or maybe it's higher than that. And the kind of 
each one of those users and each notification that's been executed there, we represent as its own process on the Erlang VM. And basically what that allows us to do is get very high concurrency, allow us to safely kind of execute all of these processes where they can fail independently, but that's not going to crash the system. Those things can fail and not actually have any larger repercussions based on the supervision model that Erlang and the system underneath is called OTP, which actually gives us really nice guardrails and guarantees in terms of making sure that we are isolating failures. We're making sure that the system can keep running at very high load because of the virtual machine and how it's managing switching and priority between different processes as well. There is a fantastic talk called The Soul of Elixir and Erlang by Sasha Urich that was at the GoTo conference. So it's just like probably gives the best example of like why you might want to consider the use of Elixir in your systems. And I've actually been an Elixir engineer for probably six or seven years at this point. And I actually don't think there's been a better application for what I've been writing than the knock in terms of like the use of Elixir here and the fact that we do have this very high concurrency kind of needing system and we get the benefits of that through the Erlang VM plus all of these other niceties. Plus we get this like really nice way to express our, our logic. And I would say ultimately that is the other part here. Like, yeah, we have the semantics of the actual underlying VM and what's happening, but on top of that, we also get this really nice programming language that makes it a real joy to think about kind of data coming in the system, the transformations of that, and then the side effects of that being the delivery to these end providers and such. But we find it to be a really lovely way to kind of express this logic and execute and write our workflow engine, which ultimately is really the heart of what we're doing at NOC, just because you can express all of these different ways of thinking about like an event leads to these different steps that gets executed so one of those steps might be a batch one of them might be hey we need to delay this notification for some amount of time and then we need to pick it back up and send out an email but we don't want to send that email if someone has their preferences turned off and we there's just all of these kind of problems that are folded inside of this that we feel like writing it in elixir gives us a really expressive way of writing this kind of state engine effectively can you walk me through the life cycle of a notification? Like, let's say I'm on that food delivery app and a notification is being sent from the food delivery company that my order is being picked up from the restaurant. Walk me through the life cycle of that notification and where it hits your infrastructure, where it's being stored, etc. Yeah, sure. So NOC is an event-driven system again. So everything that happens here, you basically model off of that event being triggered in your system. So let's say that the food is picked up. Let's just pretend that we know how that, that happens in whatever food delivery service that we've already built. And then what you would say at that point in time is you'd basically make an API call to NOC that says, hey, NOC, we want to say that this food has been picked up. We have a notification workflow that's associated with that event. And then we tell NOC about who needs to be notified for that event happening. So who was the actor of the event? So who performed it? And then who are the recipients of that event? And then we might want to pass some arbitrary data across as well that helps us in our notifications that are being sent out. So maybe in this example, it's like, an order number or some information about that order or who the driver is or something like that. 
So that's what we do there. We make an API call to knock. Then that API call is going to hit our infrastructure. We validate, make sure we haven't seen that before. We make sure that your API key is correct and such and things like that. We're going to enqueue that in Kinesis to make sure that we're not going to be overloaded on our side. And we basically want to respond to you as quickly as possible to make sure that getting a low latency there. And as soon as we can put it into Kinesis, basically it gives us guarantees around retries and making sure that we can reprocess those events if something happens down the line. And then basically what's going to happen inside of our infrastructure is that notification that you invoked there, that is going to have a what we call a workflow associated with it. And that workflow is basically going to get loaded from our system. We keep those in memory in a cache. And then we're basically going to, per recipient that you've told us to notify, we're going to execute that workflow for each recipient. And what that means for us is executing our workflow engine, going through all of the steps. You might need to hydrate some extra data in there because notifications end up being pretty stateful, especially when you start thinking about things like batching. And if we were going to collapse those notifications together, we might need to know about previous attempts that you've tried to do within some time frame to say like, hey, these are all connected together. And then we're going to execute it. And ultimately, if there are what we call messages, which ends up being the actual notifications that you receive on your devices that need to get executed there, we are going to load the templates that you've already pre-programmed into NOC around those notifications. Because what we actually trying to take care of in NOC is like there's two sides of this problem. There's the infrastructure side, which is just like purely executing your notifications. And then there's the kind of like management side of all of these notifications as well. So the templates that are associated with them that a lot of the time your engineers are having to manage that in their backend code base. But we actually hoist that out of your backend code base. We keep it in knock. We allow you to version control those things. We have a Git-like model for making sure that everything's version controlled. Everything's isolated between environments so that you can basically make sure that things that you're doing in your development environment don't affect your staging environment. So you can really confidently make changes to your notifications. And again, it's kind of the goal here is to take work away from engineers who are a lot of the time often having to manage those notification templates. And ultimately, that's work that we believe is kind of wasted for engineers to be doing and should be owned by other members of the team like product managers or maybe it's growth marketers or something like that. So again, going back to the execution of those, we'll then fetch all those templates We'll execute the templates on your behalf with the data that you passed in. And then we'll enqueue messages for delivery to those end providers that you've configured for us. So let's say that you're using SendGrid for your emails. So we might then effectively generate an email that's going to go to that end provider to SendGrid that tells you about the fact that your food is on the way. And then maybe you also set your preference to say, hey, I also want to receive SMSs as well. So we're going to make sure see if that recipient has a phone number associated with it. If they have a phone number and they've opted in to receive SMSs, then we're going to actually call and queue another message that's going to go to Twilio to their SMS delivery product as well. And then on behind the scenes, we're storing a lot of state here. We're keeping all of the logs that are generated along the way. So you have fantastic introspection into what's happening. So in NOC itself, you can literally see from your API log that's come in, so that actual API call that you made, all the way through per recipient and see every single step on the workflow that's executed. So Jeffrey, let's say that you opted out of receiving SMSs. 
we'll show you a diagram and we'll show you a log line that says, hey, Jeffrey never received an SMS because he opted out of receiving them. And we keep all of that logging information for you and we give you this really, really easy way to introspect the system and these kind of workflows that are being executed and ultimately the notifications that are being generated out the other end as well. So we'll also then keep all of the logs that are being executed against those delivery providers. So you can see the exact call that we were making to that delivery provider. You can see if that call failed. You can take action on it if it did fail as well. And that's kind of what we're keeping behind the scenes. And a lot of that kind of state is saved in both databases, back into Kinesis queues, logged out in S3 and various places as well. And all the layers of reliability and failover, it seems like there's some redundancy of storage in where you're putting the notifications. Now, a notification is not that big, but I imagine if you're handling a lot of them, then it could add up. Do you have like a garbage collection mechanism where you wipe out old notifications? Yeah, we do. So we've been relying pretty heavily on partition Postgres tables for the time being. And then that gives us a really easy way to just kind of drop old tables and make sure that we can purge those messages. And then we're looking to basically back those up into S3 so that we have a permanent store of it if we ever need to, to, especially for, you know, those more kind of privacy aware customers in the kind of banking or maybe it's a healthcare kind of space. So making sure they have access to that data for over a year or so if they need it. But yeah, we keep everything for at least a month in in what we call like our hot storage. So in the database and they're in partition tables. Got it. All right. So we talked about kind of a consumer application. There are other applications where the notification load could be much more severe, like a monitoring application, for example, like an infrastructure, something related to monitoring your infrastructure. If there's a high volume of notifications per user, does that increase on load? Does that lead to any added complexities for the notification infrastructure for us yeah sure but you know we think of that as our job of like something that we're providing for you and we see that as a core competency of our service like we need to be able to handle a great deal of load that's just part and parcel of operating a piece of infrastructure like this so it's definitely part of the kind of responsibility of me and my team here to make sure that We can scale up that infrastructure. We can support really high volumes of messages over time and make sure that, you know, whether you're an infrastructure company sending us like millions of events or whether you're a startup sending us hundreds of events that turn into notifications, like we can execute that. And what that means for us is putting some customers on kind of dedicated shards and making sure that we can scale them differently depending on the load. We run a classic kind of multi-tenanted SaaS app where we have the ability to do that and again it's like one of those things where we have to provide that service and we have to be up if you're going to depend on us we know that notifications can be something that's on the revenue path for a lot of these businesses right they can be really critical you can stop sending notifications and you can see your engagement drop or you can stop sending notifications and you can see your mps score drop because you know people like I never received them or I received too many and they can be a real liability on the business. And we know that and we want to make sure that if you're using Knock, you trust us and that we have a fantastic amount of uptime to support whatever load it is that you are calling us with. 
and making sure that, you know, we can do that reliably at the scale we're doing today and, you know, a scale way into the future as well. We've invested a lot of time and energy so far in load testing our service, making sure that we have a lot of headroom to make sure that we can scale up and down and really elastically in terms of taking in this kind of it can be incredibly bursty traffic because ultimately we don't know what you are going to call us with as the end customer and again in that kind of infrastructure example that you gave we actually we have a couple of customers who are using us for that or looking to use us for that as well they could be sending us like thousands of events and a lot of those we need to basically drop because you know maybe they're dupes or maybe like you got throttled in terms of like you know jeffrey maybe you say I only ever want to receive one alert per hour or something like that. We would handle that logic for you and make sure that we're dropping any events that shouldn't lead to notifications if it's within that window of time. So again, just like really from the get go for us, you know, ever since we started this company, like I think about it as having two real big problems to solve. One of which is the kind of management side of these notifications and the other is just yeah making sure we're building like highly reliable scalable infrastructure to support the load that can be coming and that we obviously as a young startup we hope comes and that we're already seeing today and that we hope just keeps growing and growing into the future and making sure that our service can support that at whatever scale that is that of the businesses that we're taking on when you look at the opportunities in where to go from notification infrastructure what are the additional product verticals you expect yourself to be able to go into yeah it's a great question you know when we started out building knock we did a lot of customer exploration we talked to a lot of people along the way and i think one thing that was really really interesting is you hear some teams that are leveraging these kind of more traditional marketing tools in order to power their product notifications. But one thing that we think a lot about is the kind of unification of customer messaging. So what does that mean? Well, I think in most SaaS businesses and most startups and maybe a lot of consumer companies as well, you kind of have this divide between the marketing team who are sending out various messages to your end customers Maybe that's about growth marketing, getting people in, sending them promotions, things like that. And then you have your kind of product-centric notifications that are going out to notify people about the events that are happening and more of the transactional notifications. But one thing that we keep thinking a lot about is, you know, I think you see this in some of the like best-in-class companies out there where they're actually kind of thinking about that holistically where it's not a separation of messaging. It's just a single single bucket of messages that are getting delivered to a customer with basically a prioritization of those messages to make sure that you know you're not sending too many if someone starts opening your emails maybe you start sending them more so we really think about the pushing into this kind of broader space of customer engagement and customer messaging as being a real opportunity for us and coming at it from a different perspective than the marketing teams necessarily and all those marketing products like Braze, Lean Plum, and, and folks like that. And more coming at it from this perspective of like unified customer messaging that your product team is owning and you're really thinking about the best interests of your customers, making sure you're not sending them too many messages, making sure you're approaching them on the right channels, making sure you're kind of delivering these messages at the right time so that you can get higher engagement and ultimately deliver higher customer satisfaction as well. 
If you look at developer tooling as a category, it's a very good category to be building in because users rarely churn and the spend of a user just grows over time. Do you have any commentary on selling to developers? Yeah, I have lots. Yeah. Yeah. I think your points are really well taken there. Like we love being a developer tool. It was one of the reasons, you know, as well as the problems that we saw that we wanted to build this business in that I feel like building usage-based products is really awesome. Your customers succeed and you succeed. That's fantastic, right? I think selling to developers is a really, really interesting problem. You know, I'm an engineer. I've been an engineer. I'm an engineering leader now. Like, and I think about the tools that I buy and the things that I think are really great out there. And that's exactly what we're trying to do with Knock. And I talk about this as like, you can have a fantastic product, but if it's developer focused, unless it passes that like smell test for engineers, like they're never going to adopt it, right, as a product. And I think about the companies who are kind of like best in class here in terms of excellent developer experience. And that's the kind of bar that we're looking to hit and what we're trying to do here. So what does that mean? Well, for me, that's like, I think there's the the obvious ones, like fantastic documentation, right? Like, I think you've seen like people like WorkOS, you've got your Stripes, you know, people like that who just do a really good job of the writing that's around their documentation and also the guides and also like the level of effort that's actually involved there, you know, like making sure that, the SDK examples are excellent. It's really easy to toggle. Then you end up with all these like really nice details where like maybe your actual API key is pre-populated in those examples to make it really easy to run it, things like that, you know? And then I think about having fantastic tooling on top. I think like the first example that comes to mind to me for this is like PlanetScale with their CLI tool. Just like so, so good. And just like really hits the nail on the head of what engineers want and what how they want to interact with the service and what they need right to get their jobs done and then i think the other pillar here for me is like fantastic sdks as well like you know that means like well tested really well documented sdks that make it really easy to contribute to if you want to but they're like very easy to get going out of the box they have like a very sane api design that makes it really straightforward to get going as well and again, I think the canonical example in this category is obviously Stripe. I think like we will continuously point to Stripe and I probably have done for like the last decade and I will keep doing that because they do such a good job in terms of how they think about building for developers and, and the products that they're creating. And I think at Knock, we're like really trying to embody a lot of those ideas and really make it part of our DNA from the get-go where we're kind of pouring over the API design that we're we're introducing we're making sure like we're being really thorough and thinking about consistency across our API endpoints and documentation and just all of these parts of the experience because ultimately, yeah, we're selling to those engineers and they need to trust us. We want them to feel like it's a delightful product to use in terms of the problem that it's solving. And I think if you read some of like the commentary that we got from some of our existing customers on our recent product hunt release, I feel like we had a lot of love for the the way the APIs are designed, the way the SDKs are so easy to use as well. So I feel like we're on the way there, but it's this is like this is like whole part of the challenge of building a business, you know, in this kind of category, just making sure that you are absolutely crushing the developer experience and thinking about it 
day in, day out across the team, no matter who it is on the team and what they're doing. You know? We've talked through some engineering decisions. Can you give any examples of some very difficult engineering decisions that you've had to make that we haven't talked about? Yeah, absolutely. I think like the difficult ones for us, like I think a lot about building an early stage infrastructure company as like one of the biggest difficult decisions that we made. And like the part that comes to mind for me around that has just been like the trade-off between time to market and reliability and scalability, right? In terms of, you know, like you're building a company, you're building a new business, like you don't necessarily know how far it's going to go. You don't know like what stage you're going to get to, right? But also like when you're building an infrastructure company, you don't want to like half-ass it, so to say. Like you want to make sure that like you're building on a really good foundation that can scale and that you're kind of taking into account like what's going to happen when you get those huge customers. How are you going to shard? How are you going to like manage this platform? So I think that, that tension and that trade-off between time to market and scale has been like probably the thing that we have not labored over, but just like has been one of those really hard decisions about what do you do now versus like what's the trade-off of that decision for like where you're going to go and when you're going to end up, right? And we try to capture a lot of those early decisions in kind of like in a decision log where we know we're making a trade-off for like for something that we've adopted now versus something that we know that we're going to need to swap out down the road, right? And then also understanding what the headroom is for how far that's going to take you before you know you need to swap that out, right? And then prioritizing in terms of just like, you know, we can get to this point on this technology, but we know beyond that we're going to need to make a different decision or we're going to need to shard that in a different way or or whatever it might be. And knowing when you need to prioritize that and keeping track of those has been a really big thing for us that we've really tried to like adopt early as part of the culture. And again, like we kind of did this like rift off of the decision log idea and keeping track of all of those things. So everyone on the team knows why we made those trade-offs and knows why we made those decisions and knows where, you know, the kind of the headroom and the, the end of that scale journey is for those pieces and tools that we've made. I know that's slightly vague, but I would say that that has been like the biggest the biggest thing that we've kind of wrestled with so far in in our journey to get to where we are and be in market with sending a ton of volume and notifications. That's interesting. It's it's kind of abstract. What about do you have any anything like closer to the metal that was difficult? I have loads of stuff to say about this, honestly. Okay, so as a young company that was like spinning something up, I think people have railed on like the idea of using Kubernetes as an early stage startup a lot. But the amount of ops and infrastructure work that comes off of that decision is actually pretty phenomenal, you know, in terms of like we we adopted K8s because like we wanted a good foundation that we know we can horizontally scale and we know we've had experience as a team operating that in the past. So we didn't feel too bad about like using it again here. But like just that like zero to one experience of, you know, we wanted to terraform all of our infrastructure from the get go so that we had a really good like infrastructure as code story for when we went out and did our security work. And then we knew that, you know, now we need a way to maybe we need to access one of those boxes, but everything's in our VPC. So we need a way to like SSO in and we want to set up everything on AWS with best practices out of the gate. The learning curve for terraform ops and infra is so steep you know it's so much work that we had to do to just get something that was like good working and allowed us to deploy 
I think the investment there for us was really worth it because it allowed us to like very, very easily go out and get our kind of SOC 2 certification based on like how our infrastructure was set up for security best practices out of the gate. But just like the level of effort and <laughs> the amount of time that took just to have something that was like working and that we could build on top of was enormous. And I think a lot about like as an early stage company, like again, that isn't your priority. But when you're an infrastructure company, it kind of is, you know, like you want to make sure that like what you're running on is is good. It's easy for you to scale. It's well provisioned. It's really secure. You know, so you've got all of these things to think about. And I don't know, I'm not the biggest fan of like of doing that kind of work, especially around like Terraform and Ops and I am really thankful that we had some like great contributors there as well because I was also like trying to be heads down building the the application at the same time. But yeah, it was definitely a challenge in terms of just getting to market with that and basically setting ourselves up for the future and and yeah, and the level of investment there for sure. Did you use like a managed Kubernetes system like AWS AKS or something? Yeah, we use EKS, yeah, to do but you know, it's like that takes away some of the management part, but like there's still a lot of work in terms of VPCs, in terms of just making sure everything's provisioned correctly, making sure that you're like you've got good security best practices out the gate. IAM is a whole pain, you know, to actually be thinking about like least privilege, making sure you're doing all of that. And so we used a lot of managed services along the way because, you know, we're a really small team and we don't want to be running databases and, and running clusters too much, you know, but there is still a degree of stuff that we had to do there. And, you know, I don't think that this necessarily like goes away entirely with anything you're doing with serverless as well. There's still like still challenges of making sure that you can kind of think about spinning up and deploying and all of the rest of it, like the CICD processing, just getting everything down so that, you know, as an early stage team, you, you know, velocity is like the thing that you should be aiming for, you know, like your ability to ship product is like, it's the heartbeat of the company. And anything that slows that down for engineers is a bad thing. So we spent a lot of time on that kind of CICD story, making sure our tooling was really good, investing in that early, so we can get to market quickly and keep iterating as quickly as possible. Any closing thoughts uh, we've we've talked through a lot of different elements of of knock what else would you like to share i would love to say that you know i think this notification problem if you're experiencing it today and you're looking at like a build versus buy definitely you know i think there's a lot of companies out there who will not treat this as a build versus buy decision right now and will absolutely just go ahead and build something in-house and I want to say as someone who has run a team that has had to manage this and has had to build that system in-house, you know, it starts off easy. It's a ball of mud that you're going to just keep slapping things onto. And we really believe that you should have a little look before you make that decision at some of the tools out there in the space. And we think that Knock can be a really compelling offering just in terms of you not needing to build a notification system giving you a fantastic abstraction so that you can just make API calls and that's the end of your kind of journey of thinking about notifications. So definitely have a look there. The other thing I'd love to plug as well, just while I'm here, I do a lot in the Elixir community. I think it's a fantastic community that's still fairly under the radar, fairly underrated in the kind of, you know, the power that it kind of brings to the table. 
And I think Elixir is a really great tool for being, for writing companies like this and for writing systems that need to be reliable, scalable, and just really lovely to maintain as well. So there's a conference coming up called Mpex Mountain that I am hosting. It's May 6th in Salt Lake City. Would love to see folks there. If you're thinking about Elixir or like you're interested in it, we've got a fantastic lineup of speakers. So we'd love to see more folks from other communities coming and dipping their toes into the Elixir world and playing around with the language. And I hope to see more people there as well. Thanks. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. It's a pleasure to be here and really great conversation. So thank you.